seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard. Okay, so you want to learn about magic. Now what? You've already found the greatest magic podcast to ever exist in all of time and space, but you still want more. Also, that wizard host is frustratingly vague about how to, you know, actually do magic. So you decide to get a book. Uh Uh-oh. This is where things get complicated. What book do you get? You go to the bookstore or visit Amazon.com. Boom. And start browsing only to realize, wow, there are a lot of books on magic. Some of them seem intimidating. Some are really cheesy. And apparently, there's all kinds of magic. So where do you start? With Wicca? Chaos magic? An old school grimoire? The choice is daunting. Perhaps you sigh and think to yourself, wow, I just wish that charismatic wizard who hosts the podcast I love would hurry up and write a book. Don't worry, I am. But in the meantime, wouldn't it be nice if someone had already written a book about how to make sense of all the different magical studies, how to get started with learning and practicing, and how to pick out the good stuff sitting beside the cheesy shit on the occult bookshelf? Well, I've got good news for you, my friends. Radical activist, badass witch, and member of the infamous Diviners Club of New York City, Sarah Lyons, has written just such a book. You may remember Sarah from her previous appearance in our ritual when she discussed her last book, Revolutionary Witchcraft. Or perhaps you know her from her future appearances when she writes, I don't know, whatever comes after this one. But let's not get our timelines twisted. Today, here and now, Sarah Lyons is joining the ritual to discuss her latest book, a guide to the mysteries every young magician hopes to peer into when they first ask that crucial question, how to study magic. Welcome back to Ritual Space, Sarah Lyons. Hello, Devin. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be back. Now, when I interview a guest and I have to come up with a name for the episode, sometimes it's a little bit tricky, but this is going to be the easiest naming an episode <laughs> I've ever done because you use the same how-to format. Your book is literally called How to Study Magic. So there we go. Just print it. Run it. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I, I've been telling everybody like it's the easiest marketing job I've ever had because it's like, what's the book about? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well. Well, it's How to Study Magic. <laughs> what's our magic word going to be? Hmm, I'm thinking Jupiter. Jupiter. All right. On the count of three. One, two, three. Jupiter. Jupiter. Sorry. That's fine. No, it's okay. We're synchronizing across time and space. Uh, so that's 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 inevitable. A little okay. a little bit of balancing it out. Uh, 
Why Jupiter? Um, we're recording on a Thursday. It's Jupiter's day. I think it's a fun word. Yeah. Um, I've got a Jupiter altar in my office here that is cranking away. So it's like doing its thing. So it's a Jupiter's on the mind. I also think like, I don't know if it's just, I've been watching a lot of old movies lately, like, mm. a, like a lot of old school horror movies and sci-fi movies and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, Jupiter really makes me think of like the silver age of sci-fi kind of films. Like it's has that quality to it. So there's a, uh, there's a science fiction book from that age uh, by Clifford Simak called The City. And okay. it's sort of like, because, you know, sci-fi was serialized in different, like, amazing adventure story kind of publications. So it's, you know, sort of like episodic because it's different stories that were kind of, now they're a novel and shoved together. Mm -hmm. But one of them, humanity has gone to Jupiter and there's these, you know, weird creatures that, exist in Jupiter and they invent a machine that lets a human being become one of these creatures and go out into the planet. But they're convinced that the machine isn't working because no one comes back to like tell them. They just like get released and they're like, ah, it's totally malfunctioning. And finally this guy does it and he goes, oh my God, it's amazing being a Jupiter creature. That's why ah. no one's come back. And he's the first person that's willing to like take the hit and like come back to human form for a minute to be like, guys, it's, it's, it's awesome in here. You, you gotta get and, on like, this shit. And all of humanity <laughs> leaves Earth and they're like, cool, we're going to go be Jupiterians now. Like, peace out. Wow, sci-fi was so weird. That also feels like sort of the plot of Avatar. <laughs> That's like kind of, I think James Cameron maybe stole that plot, which is like, no one will know. He's been sued for stealing from sci-fi authors before, so that tracks. All right, there you go. All right, but enough, enough space stuff. Let's get down to today's lesson. Why did you want to write a book about how to study magic? Well, I wanted to write this book because it's the question that I get asked the most. And I think it's mm. the question that a lot of us in this kind of space get asked the most by people who are maybe not in the space, but want to be. It's, you know, how do you get into this stuff is the yeah. other title you could call this book. <laughs> um, it's like the question that you get asked the most. And I think like the whenever people ask that, it's almost a universal experience from people that I know and have talked to. When you get asked that question, it's like, uh, uh. like go <laughs> do mushrooms and like live in the woods for a few years and read like a hundred books. And, you know, it's like not really a satisfactory answer because everyone's path into magic and while you're doing magic is so individualized. Mm. And I think what people really need is just sort of like a guidebook. And yeah. a guide for when they're studying magic, what to look out for, what to look for, what different symbols and things mean. Because I think a lot of books on magic are either written by like seasoned practitioners and mm -hmm. come with some assumed knowledge, right? Where Whether that's like you already know who the Golden Dawn were and why Aleister Crowley is important and like you already know all that stuff. Or it's like, orange means mercury and yeah. you're just sort of supposed to know why that is right so it's like i think that there's a lot of just assumed knowledge as well and just giving people a little bit of context that isn't difficult to do but a lot of people just don't do is so helpful and it really lets people like once you know that you can then choose your own adventure in magic and decide whether or not you want to incorporate these things or not. But as long as mm -hmm. you're just being told like orange means mercury, it's because like, okay, we say I guess, so because yeah, it's the way you know, it is. Yeah. You don't know whether to incorporate that or not. Right. So I think that that's kind of what I wanted to do is give people the 
I can't be alongside everyone as you like go through the occult section of the bookstore and like point out what books I like and what I don't. But I tried to give people that voice. Good. Good, Yeah. (laughs) Read it for this chapter, but like throw out the rest, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, like um, I, I was just reading the book earlier today and at the end you have a little section on like where to go from here. And I love that when you're talking about like sort of how to read the occult store bookshelf and discern what is good. And under the Celtic thing, you're like, Celts are basically like Wakanda for white people. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's true. <laughs> it's it, And I think that is a very important distinction is there is the story of the thing and then there's the story the thing tells itself about itself and often if you're looking at uh, especially like maybe a slightly older or more new agey title it'll be like oh well this came from ancient egypt which then taught jesus this in an atlantean mystery school and that's how we got this information instead of being like, actually, let's talk about neoplatonism for a minute <laughs> totally totally yeah yeah there's I, there's a um I kind of go back to like my own history of studying magic. Mm-hmm. And when I first got into witchcraft and occultism and that kind of thing, my gateway in was Wicca. Like that was, yeah. I thought, the only game in town for years, right? And the the joke that I make a lot is that like Wicca was the first thing to break my heart because I was <laughs> so into it and it made so much sense. And I was like, oh my God, all the answers are here. Like all of this stuff comes from these ancient goddess worshipers and they had the Lord and lady and the seasons of the year. And then the Christians drove them out and like, this is it guys, you know, and I had, it all made sense. And then I kept learning about history and realized that there's no way that that's true. Right. And that that wasn't maybe the exactly true history of witchcraft specifically, but then magic more broadly. Right. And I think that it's, you know, this isn't to talk bad about Wicca or say like, don't, you know, Wicca's all silly or whatever. This is just to say that there's a lot of misinformation out there on magic. And like the real history to me doesn't take away from the magic of magic. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think there's sort of like that galaxy brain meme format where there's that initial level where it's like, oh my God, you guys, I discovered the secret teachings of the universe and it was on a shelf at Borders. Like, can you believe that? <laughs> Holy cow. And then this like more like edgier, like, oh, actually I've seen through it and this isn't true and blah, blah, blah. Like Margaret Mead is discredited. And then there's the realization this exploded for a reason. Like this was popular for a reason like it resonated with people and there is power in that you don't have to take it literally to get something from it and in fact that desire to be so literal is kind of like a weird uh party pooping nitpicking yeah and i I think that there's uh, to me you almost have to go to one end of the spectrum and then back to the other end to Mm -hmm. kind of reach that magical equilibrium right where i think the wheel of the year right like we're Mm -hmm. approaching or we're like in we're in the halloween season right now as we're recording this and Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of people that can look at that holiday and be like well actually the you know we don't know if the celts actually celebrated you know the dead on this day and you know no they did they would dress slutty like they would dress like slutty kitty cats and, and celebrate the dead that was a very true celtic holiday <laughs> the ancient like cat girls of old exactly were, were mm-hmm. highly regarded as priestesses amongst the celts 
Not many know this. Uh, the, the rubber masks that survive, you know, it's like you can't wear a stone mask. It's awkward. <laughs> and the, and the, the rubber mask they had just didn't last. Latex was sacred amongst the exactly. cults, if you, oh, if yeah. you are aware. <laughs> um, but no, but for real, it's like, okay, yeah, there's a way you can take that and say, you know, actually Halloween's bullshit. And actually it was just created by like the candy companies and stuff like that, right? You can take it in that yeah. direction. And that's not really true. Like you can know mm-hmm. the history of it and know that that's not true either. But you can then sort of come back to an equilibrium and be like, I don't have a time machine. I don't know what the Celts did. It doesn't matter. This is the day that I'm going to designate out of the year to like revel in mayhem or revel in the ancestors or like whatever. And I think that it's, you know, it's, it's about knowing that history and then deciding like what you kind of poetically want to take from it for your own life. Totally. And I think a lot of us, especially in this current um, hyper-connected social media age, we develop more and more traditions at a faster and faster rate. So now when we're approaching October, we're like, Cool. We get to be spoopy. We get to watch a bunch of horror movies. Like 80 different friends are watching a horror movie every day and posting about it. Uh, We get to make jokes about pumpkin spice while secretly actually liking pumpkin spice. We get to just, there's all of these things associated. And like, also, yeah, Halloween's fun. Wear a costume. Go, go be playful. Like, yeah, that was my, that was my intention with writing the book is kind of, I think once you, once you know the context of magic, it never makes your magic worse, I guess is my Mm -hmm. idea. And I think there's um, like with that question that you're saying of everyone, like, how do I do this? Like, how do I get into this? I think there's some idea baked into that of like a graduation day. Like there's a moment where you cross a line and you're like, I have now mastered magic. I am now an insanely powerful sorcerer. And that makes me different from you. Whereas I think the the more honest truth is you get into reading about magic and trying things out and experimenting. And if you keep at it, you get more into reading. You know which <laughs> books you like. You have other books that you're curious about. You have friends that are into these books that are like, have you read this one yet? You find which systems are resonating with you. And you have experiences that add meaning and structure and some level of order, perhaps, to your life. While also, you're still a human being and you still put on your pants like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, there's this idea. I think a lot of people are just very scared to get started in magic and there's this big fear of the of the wrong first step mm-hmm. and i think there's two sides to that i think the people don't want to be offensive or like appropriative which, is, which sure. is good right and like i think that it comes from this good place of people want to be respectful right and they don't want to be disrespectful with how they go about getting into magic right and i think there's the other side of it where people are scared and people mm-hmm. think that you know if i mispronounce one latin word zap <laughs> a demon is going to come up from the floorboards and like curse me and it's gonna be the exorcist in here right and like the people are definitely going to get mad at me when i say this but i think at to the latter point i am much more of a just like go for it kind of person like go for it you're gonna make mistakes it's probably not going to be that big of a deal if you fuck up like but just you're gonna figure things out a lot more if you just dive in and go for it and to the former point about wanting to be like not wanting to be offensive or anything like that that's where knowing history comes in right Mm -hmm. because once you know history you know how to navigate the stuff well i think and i think that idea has you know especially this i'm thinking maybe just like kind of like 20 to 30 years ago was when that era of magical writing was more common where it was both really heightening things. So it's like, once you learn these secrets, you will master powers that mere mortals cannot comprehend. (laughs) And it was very grandiose. And then it was also like, 
but you have to be careful because insanity awaits those who blah, 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 blah. It was like very hyperbolic, which I think for me as a baby wizard made it very frustrating because I'm like, I'm reading this book and I'm in my room and like no smoke spewing demon has like singed my wallpaper yet. So like, I'm obviously doing it wrong. Like what's going on? And I think your book, just the tone of it feels so much more invitational of like, hey, everybody, like, let's come along on a journey and like, look at all this cool stuff. And the ideas are interesting. And the history is interesting, too. Thank you. Yeah, I really tried to match the tone in both my first book and this one to how I actually speak and like talk to people. Um, Because I think the other bar to entry, I think with a lot of occult books with beginners is that occult books can sometimes take themselves very seriously, even if it's Mm -hmm. supposedly like a beginner's book, right? Even if it's a 101 book, there's a lot of um, either it's an older book. And so the language is like just literally a language that we're not used to speaking anymore, or it's a um, very formal book that's more contemporary. And it's, I don't, it's not that I dislike formal language or that I think that there's not a place for that, especially in like academic writing and that kind of thing. But I think when you're trying to get, like, there's a reason why we, just to be completely frank, there's a reason why we see certain forms of magic as like only being for uh, wealthy, educated, like upper crust men, right? Mm-hmm. Like white men, basically, because it's been, books have been written by people who kind of speak in that like higher academic sort of language, right? Like I like speaking that way sometimes. It's Mm -hmm. not that I don't think that there's a a time and a place for that. But when you're trying to get people in on the ground floor, you've got to speak the language that they're speaking. And that's this conversational tone that we're having right now. It doesn't mean you dumb down the material or anything like that. It just means you explain it to people in the way that people are going to understand it. That's good. Well, there's, I mean, and there's a lot of gatekeeping in it, which we now have a term for and we kind of call out more often when we see it. But, you know, if you talk to a modern philosophy professor, they'll be like, yeah, some of these guys were bad writers and they made things incredibly difficult to understand, which is frustrating because the concept is really relevant to like most people and it's annoying. And then in magic, you have people that I think do that on purpose or are a bad writer and then are like, well, I'm just trying to speak in riddles so only the initiated can understand. I'm like, I think you're also just kind of trying to make things vague because it sounds cooler if you're like, oh, yes, dark magics were stirred up last night. And you're like, what do you mean? It's like, I had some friends over and we watched the craft. It's like, okay. like that's <laughs> Or even, you know, like I think even when we talk about um, things like spirit communication or mm-hmm. doing a spell and like, how do you know if a spell has worked or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I was having a conversation with some magic friends the other day of like, what do you think spirit contact is? Like, do you see the spirit in your mind's eye? Mm -hmm. Do you see like a physical manifestation? Does somebody else see, like, do you see it in a dream? What do you see, right? And I, to me, the answer is mostly in my mind's eye and then like kind of Mm -hmm. maybe shadows out of the corner of my eyes if I'm like really, you know, witching out, right? But that answer is different for people too. And I think that even that bit of information is something that isn't really talked about in a lot of 101 occult books in just a kind of easy way of like, eh, it might be this, it might be that. It's fine either way. <laughs> oh, I I'm, I was reading Six Ways by Aiden Wachter and he mentions that he is not like super visual. So he does not get like cinema quality images in his mind. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. Finally, like because so many other books that I read early on were like, 
practice until you can see this image perfectly in your mind. I'm just like not visual. And now that I'm working as a hypnotherapist, one of the first exercises I do with clients is I have them close their eyes and then I say, describe what happens in your mind when I say the words, the beach, because some people will go, I see the waves and other people will go, I hear seagulls and other people will go, oh, I feel the sun on my face and the sand under my feet because people have visual, auditory or kinesthetic uh, modalities that they're more used to. And I think making someone feel bad because they're not getting it like an animated cutscene from a Doctor Strange movie is 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 bad. Yeah, totally. And I, I it's such a I don't know, just even that kind of thing. I, I love Aiden's books also. But yeah. I and I think that he does that same thing, right? Of like talking in a very kind of normal way. <laughs> Yeah. Here's how you can take all these ideas and not expect something like, again, movie quality supernatural to happen, but feel more connected to the world around you in a way that is life enriching, even if you don't get a a magic wand that shoots fireballs out of it. Totally. Now, there is one warning in your book that I was curious to ask about, which was you uh, you talk about Enochian and you're sort of (laughs) that's the one point that I thought you put your foot down a little and you're like, Okay, the people I know that have gotten too into this, it's a bad scene. Can you can you talk a little bit more about uh, why you were warning people away from Enochian? Yeah, I think that um, it's so weird because I know people and like I myself have done stuff in like the demonic realm and been fine, like mm-hmm. right, and been totally whatever and totally fine. And yet I know people who have done stuff more in the angelic realm and they're like, I don't know if I can take this anymore. You know, like, they, like it yeah. really... I haven't messed around with the Nokian stuff myself. So this is not coming from personal experience just to put that out Mm -hmm. there, but it's just something that I've noticed. And it's something that I think is like kind of worth, I think to like a a beginner, first of all, there's a a lot to get in on. You need a lot to get in on that ground floor, right? Yeah. Just like, it's literally a whole other language. It is literally an entire like system of magic in and of itself. And it's not on Duolingo, which is really annoying. It's not on Duolingo, but we should press for that to be a thing. <laughs> that would be a rat. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's not, um, I, it is one of those, for, I know we just spent a long time talking about like magic needs to be more accessible. I think it is one of those forms of magic that is perhaps inaccessible because you should have some other stuff mastered before you get to that point. Like you, you should have summoned a, a le, quote unquote lesser spirit or like mm. whatever spirit before you attempt to get there. And I have my own theories on why that kind of is. Do tell. Like when it comes to angels. Yeah, I, okay, so I have, but this is all, my, this is again, this is Sarah talking. This is not, you know, any sort of thing that I've read or like is out there that I know about. But the vibe that I get is that angels see everything as God and everything is an mm. emanation of God and God cannot be harmed or destroyed. And so when uh, angels fuck with us, it's like, but you're God. Yeah. This is fine. And it's like, no. <laughs> and like they I it's like the the insanity of God as a consciousness, mm. I think is that's kind of what you're tapping into when you do Enochian is the like God is kind of an insane thing. Ooh, it's kind the of insanity an insane of God. Con- I like that. Yeah. You know, and and when you're tapping into angelic consciousness or angelic, you know, figures, that kind of thing you're tapping into that source or you're tapping into beings that can only see and communicate to God. And mm. that is, I think a fucking head trip for 99% of people. Oh um, my God. It's like talking to people that are in the C-suite and they're like, yeah, I think we just need to synergize our partnerships to get to a higher level of market <laughs> outreach. And you're like, what? 
speak regular person. Like, what? Or like being with an insanely rich person and they're like, yeah. yeah, we'll just get two of the $500 bottles of champagne for the table. And you're like, what? Like, what's going on? And then you at the end of that dinner are out like 2000 bucks, right? But they're fine with it, right? Yeah. Because How much does a banana cost? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my theory on why Enochian is like an especially weird form of magic because you're, you're dealing with that kind of consciousness you're dealing with god consciousness and i think that most people are not at that point you know my favorite little uh, tidbit from the history of enochian magic is so you know for anyone not familiar with what we're talking about should have said this earlier but uh john d was uh what is this 15th century mm -hmm. i forget the exact dates but he was a proto wizard magic dude court astrologer yada yada and uh started doing scrying with um a couple of different mediums but mainly edward kelly and because John D did not have the site like we were talking about, but Edward Kelly did. And so they were working as a team as they got into this. At a certain point, the angels started telling Edward Kelly that uh, him and John D should wife swap. Yes, <laughs> it's history's <laughs> most epic wife swap, honestly. <laughs> I just love the idea of like, oh, what's that angel? Oh. Oh, really? Oh, oh okay. Uh, John. <laughs> you're not Babe, the angels said we have to do it. Like, yeah. what? And you should lend me $40. <laughs> yeah. Babe, like, it's it's cool. The angels said that this is what we have to do. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that I really appreciated so much, um, I, I, I just went for a hike at this monastery uh, here in Kentucky, so I was thinking about this. But when you talk about grimoires, you talk about the clerical underground of, you know, sort of different priests and monk that were passing around these hand copied grimoires and trying to do magic. And these are priests and monks who have nothing but time, like they can totally just chill in their cell and read and pray. And that's, you know, aside yeah. from eating gruel <laughs> and sweeping the, the yard, that's what they're doing. Um, and you pointed out, like, for most of us, monk time is not really that accessible. And I think also made the grimoires a little bit more approachable by just saying there is going to be ingredients that you're not going to find and you're going to have to just figure out how that works for you. Um, I'm curious, like what your experience with grimoire magic has been and um, yeah, how, how you see yourself relating, because that's sort of the, the hot new thing in the occult world these days is someone just dusted off a new grimoire freshly translated <laughs> get it in yeah. a hardcover <laughs> yeah totally i um grimoires were one of those things when i was when i was deepening my practice that i kept wanting to get into and i was really mm -hmm. intimidated by and I could never figure out. And I had all of the same things that we've been talking about so far, right? Of like, I don't want to do this wrong and like fuck up my whole life. I don't want to mm -hmm. do this wrong and summon the wrong demon. I don't want to like, like all they're written in a very kind of um, stay away kind of language where it's like madness and death shall come to those who do not respect these rights. And it's, you know, it's very scary. Right. Yeah. Um, and between that and then the, the ingredients lists and the time that it takes, you know, to, to do this stuff, you're just like, okay, well, this is impossible. Like I've never make a I lantern mean, of human skin. You're like, like I'm literally gonna, I'm gonna yeah, have like to find, skip over that. Find the hand of a man who's been hanged and like cut it off at a Martian hour. And it's like, okay, well, I literally can't do that. Like that's not It's just like a like like finding a recipe on a food blog and they're telling you to get like fenugreek leaves. And I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, I'm going to Kroger. They yeah. don't have fresh fenugreek leaves in the Kroger produce section. <laughs> but then what I started to think about, you can tap into the magical mindset with these in 
I think a very fun way, like you can have a lot of fun with grimoires if you take on that kind of mindset. Like, and, and again, I think that this is going to be one of those things that maybe pisses people off that I say because people want to say grimoires. That's what we're all about here. This is the heretic seriously. occult podcast. <laughs> and I yeah. think that this is, and I, and I hate to break things down in like a gendered way like this, but I do think that this is like, there's this almost kind of very heavily masculine, like, no, you do things by the book and the book says to do things this way. No girls allowed in Star Wars. Right. And then there's <laughs> like, when you look at how like witches and like women were taking the grimoires in the past and they were like remixing them, they were mm. doing it with like what they had and they were yeah. doing it like they weren't taking it that seriously, right? They were ta- Or they were taking it like sincerely, but not seriously, you know? And I think that there's, there is something to be said for that kind of like, have fun with it. Like have fun with mm-hmm. this one sort of mindset. To me, a big part of magic is the aesthetic and is, you know, you have to feel like you're doing magic. And the grimoires yes. really make you feel like you're doing magic because there's these crazy symbols and crazy ingredients lists. And there is something about like, okay, I have to do this at midnight on a Saturday when the moon is full, like there's something about that that feels like, okay, I'm really doing magic now, right? But then you can activate that playful side of your mind where you're like, okay, I can't get blood from a lion, but do I have a Leo that has an open mind, right? Like do mm, I have, mm-hmm. that can like prick their finger and give me some of their blood? Like right. I can't, I can't get, you know, dove's blood, but I can get fake dove's blood, right? Like, you know, yeah, you, can, you can figure out these kind of workarounds. And that I think is when, First of all, it makes your mind kind of get into that magical place. But second of all, the spirits notice that you're trying to do that. And you skin in the game. You you didn't just go like, okay, one, two, three, manifest this. Oh, it didn't happen. What the hell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it really like forces you to get imaginative. And I mm-hmm. think that spirits kind of thrive on the imagination in some ways. And so th- it by activating that part of our brain, I really do think that there's a lot of like richness that can be had from the grimoires. And I think that that's how I kind of wanted to approach it in the book is like, yes, 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 this is serious stuff, but you can actually have fun with it. And it's actually good if you do try to have a little bit of fun with it. And that's only, I, again, I wrote this book because I really want more people in these spaces. I think that Mm -hmm. these traditions are only going to become more rich as a more diverse group of people gets their hands on this stuff. And I really want to see new people talking about the grimoires. You know, I think that that's going to be so fascinating if, yeah. like, if that happens. And I, I mean, and I think it is quite cool that even when I started exploring this stuff in the early 2000s, it was like the lesser key of Solomon that Crowley translated was like the only kind of main available one. And everything was so Golden Dawn focused. And then now people are like, oh, there is all of this Arab magic influence and all of these other things. And we have a lot more history and translation because there's more people that got into this, probably got into it through, you know, the Wicca book at Borders, but now have gotten a PhD and are translating Aramaic on their mm-hmm. own. So like, that's cool. And yeah, I think um, I also, you know, being a wizard, I, I try to break down the gendered aspect, but I do like in the Discworld books where there's witches and wizards and the wizards are kind of, backstabby academics like they literally like the only way to advance (laughs) is by like killing the wizard in front of you (laughs) and then the witches are uh like playing head games and just kind of like cranky cool old ladies doing their own thing and just like making it work yeah and i like both like i feel like i have both sides to my own personality very very much so like i 
like I wrote this book because I have a lot of respect for serious academic study and like getting things right. You know, I I have that part of my brain that was like, no, 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 I have to like, what was the date that this happened? And did it happen before or after this book was written? Because it matters, God damn it, right? But then yeah. once but then once you have that downloaded, I think then you're freed to then have fun with it. You want to be the cool professor. You like you don't want to be the class that's putting <laughs> everyone to sleep. And you also don't want to be the person at the bus stop that's like, oh yeah, like ancient Lemurian angels. Like uh-huh. and you're like, whoa, okay, hold on. You want to be the yeah. person that's like cool and fun is like, hey, here's how this thing is represented in pop culture. And here's another thing that you can actually understand. But there is some rigor and there is some um, filtering, I guess, or like verifying. It's not just I heard a thing. Let me repeat it. It's assessing. Um, Here's a huge question. And this is one that just came up for me over and over and over again as I was reading the book. Is all magic in the 21st century basically chaos magic? How spicy. Um, (laughs) A part of me kind of thinks, yeah. I definitely think that like chaos magic kind of broke the mold in such a way that there's really no going back. Right, Um, yeah. You know, there's not, we we live in a postmodern world and we we understand. Postmodern world, a metamodern world. Postmodern, yeah, we're in a meta world. And I think there's a... um, kind of in the same way that we can try as hard as we can to like, I am someone who works with spirits, right? I am Mm -hmm. someone who considers myself an animist. The witchcraft that I practice and how I define witchcraft is in part defined around spirit contact and that, you know, that stream of magic. Right. Yeah. But I know people who don't believe in spirits at all or don't work with spirits at all in the way that I do. And still get great results from their magic. Right. And so I have to acknowledge that. Like I have to sit here and with all of my beliefs and all of my understanding of the world and say, okay, but this person still got something done from what they did. So there must be some truth to the, to what chaos magic says about like paradigms and magical models and this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, I think that that's where I think that the, the drive to isolation is sometimes very, um, alluring to a lot of spiritual people, not just in the magical world, but I think in like other spiritual mm. like communities to like the, the allure throughout history to like go to a cave or go to a monastery or go to a forest somewhere and like isolate yourself because then you can like kind of pretend much more easily or forget that the outside world exists mm-hmm. and just do magic or practice your spirituality like within that confine. But as soon as you're around other people, you have to, unless you're crazy or unless you're like very conservative and like reactionary, you have to acknowledge like other ways of being in the world are sure. there and are valid yeah. and work, you know? And so I kind of do think that at least all magic now is tinged with chaos magic. I I think that one of the only people that I, uh, that I follow in any sort of way or that I pay, like that, um, who I do mention in the book, I do recommend one of his books in, in the book that kind of breaks this mold a little bit is I think Damien Eccles. Because he was isolated, like he was literally on on death row in solitary confinement for eighteen years, Mm -hmm. he didn't get all this the stuff that was going on in like the wider magical world and like the developments that were going on, and was just reading books by like Aleister Crowley and the Golden Dawn and like these kind of older texts. And so I think that like he might be the only person that we have who kind of has that monastic 
19th century sort of like mindset when it comes to magic, like actually preserved in his brain. Right. And like, that people can like that style of magic or not. But I think that that's one of the things that kind of fascinates me. And like one of the reasons I think he's an interesting thinker to pay attention to is because he maybe isn't the, maybe he might be the only person who isn't influenced by chaos magic, like in his way of working, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not super familiar with his work. I'll have to have him on the podcast and ask, but I do know um, more of the background of just like the um, West Memphis three and everything. And I know that he was, very into Buddhism for a while as well. And so I think that's one of the interesting things. I don't, I don't know if he switched right. wholly and has no interest in Buddhism anymore and it's all ceremonial magic or if he holds both. But I think that's one of the things that I've noticed is that even the people who I know that are initiated into Afro-diasporic traditions and follow more, this is the way it is. I have mentors and elders in my community. We do everything through divination. Like this is the system. They're not just monoclassing. They're also like, oh, and then I'm also part of this other magical tradition, which has totally different beliefs. And that's Saturday night. This is Wednesday night. And they like, yeah. they're devout in both, but they, they're they holding both at the same time. And I guess, actually, you know what the thing is? Now you say that, and I'm about to like take back everything that I just said. Because the Sweet. other thing that I... Okay, Very well, chaos magic of you. <laughs> <laughs> I contain multitudes. But yeah, yeah, I guess the other part of it too is that there, I, I think it's kind of this very Christian idea that you have to believe in only one thing all the time, right? Mm, like mm-hmm. you look at most people throughout history, you look at most places around the world, and if people have an altar to one deity or God, they usually yeah. have it to a couple, right? Like oh, yeah. a lot of places in Asia will have, you know, an altar to the Buddha, but then also a local spirit or God mm-hmm. or an ancestor altar or something like that, right? And that, that's not necessarily part of Buddhism, mm-hmm. but it's part of a local tradition that doesn't ne- that doesn't clash, right? Um, if you look at ancient Rome and ancient Egypt and, and Greece and all of these places, they all had multiple altars and multiple, pre- like worshiping multiple gods and had probably multi tendencies within a household or within a person. And so I think that there's also that going on too, with that, like almost no one has ever believed just one thing, like going throughout the world every day, we have to switch our paradigms all the time because otherwise we just, you know, it's not that chaos magic is new. It's that we're getting back. Um, our, our mutual friend Cadmus, who's been on the podcast before wrote, um, I think it's true to the earth towards a pagan political theology, which is one of my favorite occult books. It's just like, Mm. I, I just am so blown away with that, that text. And he makes a great point about the difference between the word cosmos and the word universe and cosmos comes from this idea of like, it's a way of braiding, I think like a horse's tail, but it's a braid. There's multiple things enmeshed. Whereas universe is there's one thing. This is the mm. one way that it is. And I know um, from another book that I really enjoyed recently, The Weirdest People in the World by Joseph Henricker, I think is the last name. But um, he talked about places where they've had a traditional religious system and then they get uh, told the good word of our Lord by missionaries. And so then they're like also doing both in tandem. And you can actually do psychology tests uh, where it's called priming. So it's basically like you have someone do a word search and there's, you know, the word grace, the word sin, like all of these things are in there. And that cues someone's mind to think more about that system of belief. Mm -hmm. And so basically, if you do different priming, one for the local deities and then one for the big Christian God, people then respond to later questions in the test differently. So if they're primed to think about a big God that's judging you, they're more 
altruistic to that general community. Whereas if they're thinking about their ancestral deities, they're more like, yes, I would lie to protect my brother. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) That's a fascinating thing, though, because I feel like chaos magic, it's a little bit like the blues, where the blues was this revolution that kind of changed everything. And pretty much all modern music is based on blues scales to some extent. Mm. But there is still a thing called the blues. And now it's sort of a, a niche genre of like, weird old dudes that hang out at bars and listen to Muddy Waters cover bands and, you know, like, you know, (laughs) I'm not trying to trash shock the blues, but I think chaos magic has become everything. It's now water. We're just all swimming in it. But then like people that are like, I'm really into chaos magic have become this more like limited scene and aesthetic, like you said earlier. Yeah. And I guess also to to continue that metaphor as well, that doesn't mean that there aren't people who aren't also like doing classical music or doing uh, totally, folk music yeah. or something like that, or traditional, you know, a regional traditional music of some sort, right? Like mm-hmm. that all exists as well. Even if the ubiquity of like rock and roll and jazz and blues have become just yeah. like most music is based on that. Right. Yeah. Right. As you say. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like the Beatles are obviously using blues structure, but then when they like, you know, bring in an Indian sitar, they're incorporating something else. And I feel like that's the vibe that I get from most people, probably because anyone that is so serious about some sort of ancient tradition has isolated themselves and is off in their hermetic forest lodge muttering as they brew alchemical potions, which good, oh, good, what a dream. We're, we're, good use of the word hermetic there. That's like double, double meaning there. <laughs> <laughs> The hermetically sealed hermetic lodge. (laughs) Um, So you had to do quite a bit of study to write your book on how to study magic. Uh, What was the most challenging of these for you to sort of unpack, understand, and then represent to uh, a more lay audience? Hmm, That's a good question. I think in some ways, actually, the witchcraft chapter was the Mm. hardest to do. I saved that for last when I was writing it because I I usually write out of order. I like paint by numbers kind of when I write. And I saved that for last because I was like, I've already written a book on witchcraft. Like I, I've got this, you know, I I practice this. It's fine. And then it's the thing that I think is difficult is be, is all these other forms of magic, right? Whether you're talking about chaos magic or druidry or like Thelema or, Mm you know, whatever these disciplines are, African diasporic traditions, you can trace that history. You could say like, this is what it is. This is what it is not. Mm-hmm. This is where this began. This is how it's practiced today. And these are like the four or five like main books to mm-hmm. read about it. Right. Whereas in witchcraft is this like, I, I've come now to think that the, the spirit itself of witchcraft does not want to be defined. And mm-hmm. it is like, it laughs at us when we try to pin it down to being just like one thing or another, right? Because that's the essential premise of wizardry as I, I see it as well. Like, I think these are kind of trickster archetypes that are like, play with me. And you're like, but what are you all about? And they're like, Oh, so annoying. Come on, just, just keep moving. (laughs) Yes. And I, that's, I really think that it, witchcraft is nothing if not a trickster of Mm -hmm. a spirituality, right? Like, and, and so I think I also didn't want to piss anyone off with that chapter. Right. Because I think that, that is something that is very easy to, uh, once again, like with, with writing the ceremonial magic chapter, I had like mutual friends of ours who are Thelemites and I could just be like, is this right? Like, could yep. I be like, did I get this right? Um, and that's like, yes or no. That's the answer. Great. I know it now. And I can like go to a Gnostic mass and I can say, okay, cool. I got it. I know what to yeah. do here. Right. But I, but with witchcraft, it's like every single witch is going to have a different definition of what witchcraft mm-hmm. is. And if you say, if you, 
you know, make your mark and you say, witchcraft is absolutely about this. You're going to piss a lot of people off because they're going to say, but that's not how I practice or that's not how I understand it. Right. So if you say like witchcraft absolutely has nothing to do with the devil, there's going to be a bunch of witches that are like, what are you talking about? Like, of course it does. Right. Like right. It's, witch, it's witchcraft. Right. Um, <laughs> it's there, you know, but it's then if you say uh, witchcraft, you must make a pact with the devil in order to do witchcraft. That is like who we get this craft from. So we have a bunch of Wiccans and people who practice that kind of magic where they're like, but I didn't do that, you know? And it's, I think that to me, how I have kind of come to the conclusion is like, the best I can understand it is there are four types of witchcraft. There is like, there are four witchcrafts okay. S, where there is like the ancient, like pre-Christian, like pre-pagan origins of witchcraft, maybe, mm-hmm. but that's truly just like a cerebral exercise, honestly, to go back and look at where it's like, shamanic in nature it is ecstatic in nature it is not fully human in nature it is like Mm -hmm. of the spirit realm and it is you you kind of make a deal to not be fully human if you're doing that kind of magic right right then there's sort of the like early modern period where we get our idea of the witch right who has her grimoires and has her spell Mm -hmm. books and has her deals with the devil and has her like packs at the crossroads right and then we get like the modern Wicca and like goddess centric mm-hmm. kind of goddess worshiping neo-pagan witchcraft. Right. And now we have whatever the fuck witchcraft is today, which is this like postmodern mashup of everything I just mentioned, plus mm-hmm. crystals, plus chaos magic, plus all this other stuff. Right. And I, and all of that is witchcraft, but they are different. They are very different from each other. Yeah. So that's, the difficulty of threading that needle was something I think that that struck me as much harder than I thought it was going to be. And I think I did an okay job at it, but I'm sure that there are people that are still going to think that I left something out. Well, that's, you know, it's an interesting thing that you've brought up a few times of like, people are going to get mad at you. And um, this is the one and only time in this conversation, I will bring up the book that I am writing, but I have been going through the exact same thing of like, writing something and be like, oh, man, <laughs> like, I really, I'm gonna have to run this by a few of our mutual friends to make sure that I'm not like, putting my foot on my mouth or pissing anybody off. Because I think it is a field that feels quite argumentative, sort of inherently. Um, and then also, I think that is just the nature of the world today, where we all have Twitter brain poisoning. And we're like, oh, no, someone might have this like, really angry take on what I'm saying, which is, I think, I don't, I don't know. Like you've published a book. Did you get a lot of angry letters about revolutionary witchcraft? Not really, honestly, which I was very happy about. But I think also what I, 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 to me, it's like, there's the people that, that I, when I kind of joke about, like people might get mad at this, right. Where it's just, you know, I, there's people that I don't really care about if they get mad at me or not. And they can say like that, you know, they can say whatever they want. It's fine. But then it's like, I do truly like, I don't want to offend anybody and I don't Mm -hmm. want to, um, I don't want to be like, oh, cultural appropriation's dumb. It's fake. Just do whatever yeah. you want, right? Because that's also sure. not true, and I don't believe that. And it's, and I don't want it. Yeah, to you want to across. represent yourself accurately as well. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to. Um, I think that was the other thing of like threading the needle. It to me, the I kind of hold up the shield of history almost, and just be like, this is what happened. Yeah, and it's up to you to like it or not, and that is up to your moral compass. But I can't give you that moral compass. So like talking about the history of like where Kabbalah comes from and how Kabbalah makes its way into magic. It's like, we can follow that through line. And that is a, that is a history of like, of appropriation, right? Like there Mm -hmm. is, there's a lot of that going on there. Right. 
now you as the reader have to decide if you're down with cultural appropriation or not, right? Or like to what degree you are doing that in your practice or like you have to make the decision now to like buy books written by Jewish scholars on this subject, right? That is maybe going to be better than just like whatever Madonna Mm. (laughs) maybe said on the subject, right? So it's, I think that there's also that about like, uh, once again, it's like, your, your practice is never harmed by knowing where the history and context of your practice comes from, because right. knowing that then, then gives you the charge to then decide whether or not you want to keep it based on your own morals. And I have my own thoughts yeah. on, on this kind of stuff. Right. But I think that that's, um, it's an important part of the conversation to lay out yeah. and not just brush over. I mean, my, my spicy take is that I think history is a history of appropriation. There is yeah. no, <laughs> there is no single group. Everything is blended. And then it really is more accurate in my mind to say, where do we feel comfortable versus uncomfortable with appropriation? Why are we okay with the Greeks borrowing from the Egyptians and then the Hermeticists borrowing from both of them and then the Renaissance people borrowing from them? And I think that there is a um, power imbalance that makes us uncomfortable. So someone just subtly saying, I'm now a voodoo priest and there's some white lady from California that <laughs> makes us feel uncomfortable. I think very few people are yelling at um, Afro-diasporic practitioners and being like, you're appropriating Christian imagery and symbolism. Like, Right. Well, and that's kind of like, I think I make this point in the book where it's like, okay, go vibe, like go see what vibes with you, right? Mm-hmm. And do that in the space of the imaginal and like, yep. j- and in like the heart and be like, wow, this really resonates with me. Like I really resonate with voodoo, right? Let's yeah. just say that as an example. Like, I really resonate with this. Like, and I'm not, I don't have any roots from Africa. I don't have any roots from Haiti. I don't have any roots from New Orleans, right? But I like, let's just say that this is a person that really resonates with that. Once you, once you vibe with that, then you have to like come down to the world that we live in and say, okay, mm-hmm. I live in a world where like black people have had a lot <laughs> stolen yeah. from them. Mm-hmm. Let's just, you know, kind of downplaying yeah. that. But, you know, black people have had like a, several hundred years, like, like, you know, almost a thousand years of having shit taken from them and not being credited with it, Mm -hmm. not being properly compensated for that. How can I follow this vibe in a way that doesn't perpetuate that harm that is in the world that I live in? And then seek that out and Mm -hmm. see how possible that is. And it might, what you want to do might not be possible, but I guarantee some version of it will be like, it's, but it's important, I think, to to come back down to the world of like power dynamics yeah. after, you know, and, and have that be the kind of feedback loop of like, okay, it's fine to like this. And it's also good to recognize the world that we live in and say, I want to be good and I want to not perpetuate this harm anymore and find a way to do it without doing that. that and I think sense. respect is, is the key word there. Like I'm, you know, a white guy with limited rhythm if I got really into salsa dancing, I would be participating in communities that I, I might need to be like, oh, OK, like <laughs> people aren't here for my weird uh, attempts at showboating and assuming that I know what's what. And like, but if I went to salsa night and was very respectful and fun to be around, I think that I could get welcomed. And I've, I've got quite a few friends that are part of different initiatory traditions that other people who have nothing to do with that tradition are like, whoa, like, isn't that weird? Because you're white. And they're like, I'm extremely devoted to this group. They see that and they want to keep these lineages alive. So again, I think respect is probably what it all boils down to. 
Right. And I think too, and this is like something, a, a wider thing, I think about like just what the internet kind of does, like social media does to our spiritual practices is mm. that I think a lot of people think that I have to get into a spiritual practice and then I have to immediately become an expert and then I immediately right. have to monetize that. Start a like, podcast. <laughs> I have to start a podcast. I have to like start offering spells. I have to start offering like readings, like this kind of thing. And it's like, actually you don't like you mm -hmm. really don't have to do that. And in a lot of cases, it's probably best if you don't like, yeah. it's probably best if you don't immediately start offering like voodoo healing ceremonies. If you went to like, if you read one book on the subject, you know, right. like that's the kind of like, that's where it's like, that is appropriation. If you're just like, Oh no, I read a book. It's good. Right. Like I, yeah. like, I think that that's the kind of thing that people, there's this uh, thing that social media does to our brains where we have to immediately become an expert on something. And it's like, we, we can't be just humble about the state mm -hmm. that we are in our practice. And this becomes, I mean, it's like, especially pronounced with like what we're talking about right here with appropriation. Mm -hmm. But I think it's this, I think it goes for like practices that people don't consider appropriate too, of just like witchcraft or wizardry or chaos magic, where it's like, no, you don't immediately have to be like a big badass witch if you start practicing witchcraft like that actually takes years to work up to and that's fine it's like totally fine i never realized it until literally just now that like i you know in my own myth making which is done with a lot of self-awareness i talk a lot about my initial ritual to become a wizard and i totally gloss over the 10 years i've spent before that of practicing magic totally privately as a thing that i did and i like didn't go tell people about and the most public I would be was like getting drunk and then telling someone my weird chaos magic theories and have them be like, Whoa. You, I gotta tell you, I'm a fucking wizard. Like, I think that? it's a psychological a interpretation wizard. of magic that could, you know, yeah. <laughs> what if a demon is a bad habit? Yeah. Like that was, that was me for a long time. Same, um, same. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of just throwing spells around, let's throw a spell around. Uh, what is something that the listeners can do to begin their journey to studying magic? And as always, I like to keep it nice and small. Sure. So in the book, if mm -hmm. you buy the book, something buy that the I book, do, great spell. Buy the book. Um, <laughs> no, but something I do at the end of every chapter is that I give people um, a ritual or a spell or a piece of mm -hmm. magic to try. And yeah. I kind of structured it sort of to like, if, these are the only bits of magic that you do. You will have a little practice by the end of the book, right? Right. Like I give people, you know, the LBRP, which can be used mm. to cast a circle or to banish or to cleanse, right? Yeah. I give the people, lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram for yes, anyone. Sorry, yes. Yeah. No, okay. Um, but I do, I give people that. I give people like a scrying um, spell or a, a scrying ritual to do. Yeah. I give people, um, you know, a candle magic spell to do that is infused with like stuff from the grimoires and that's all to kind of say like this this can be your starting kit um and if you just go from there it'll it'll expand out into to all sorts of things so i so i do want to plug the book yes. in that oh, way right? definitely. i do buy really think that's... i did a good job at that <laughs> yes buy the book good, good spell <laughs> i think that what i would say to people is find what you're interested in right mm. and do it like find a spell whether that's like from the grimoires or whether that is like something you got out of a old Llewellyn book or whether that's something you found somewhere it doesn't matter what it is mm -hmm. find a spell or a ritual that you want to do and do it and do it frequently like do, like try mm -hmm. it a couple of times and see what happens 
and I think like it, it don't be so concerned about ruining your whole life if you do it wrong see if something good happens like see if you get that promotion you know like see yeah. if you get that job like see if you get that thing if you try it you know um I'm going to add a part one to your spell. Okay. So I, I think this is great, but I want to make it a little bit more concrete. So what I want people to do is go to a bookstore, an occult bookstore, if you can find one, and browse the shelves. And you're not just shopping, but you're looking at all of these different things and asking yourself, what do I vibe with? Do I find myself more curious about the witchcraft books or the chaos magic books or this biography of Aleister Crowley? And see which one you vibe with and then buy Sarah's book and then come back and buy one of those other ones and then do exactly what you're saying of like pick a spell, start small and just do it and, and see what it's actually like to do something rather than I think have that too many tabs situation we all get into with the information overload we live in where uh, the real magic is just one more download <laughs> of a thousand PDFs away. There's something called analysis paralysis that I think a yes. lot of people get into in like a lot of different spheres, but in magic, it's very real where, you know, mm. you just get overwhelmed by all this stuff you got to do. And it's like, just go for it. You know, I, yeah. I think the, yeah, the other, the other part of that too is um, people look, I say this in the book too, but people look at the end result of a magical mm. practice and they think, oh God, I got to get this whole altar set up right. and I've got to meditate perfectly. 20 mm -hmm. minutes a day and I got to have like a million uh, candles going at all times. And I have to have See all this my shit. astral temple in my mind with perfect yeah. 4k clarity. Yep. I've got to have like every, I got to have a bunch of rings that all have like spirits encased in them, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like the person who has that got that because they started simply. So like yes. start with meditating once a day, start with lighting a candle and saying a prayer like once a day. Mm -hmm. And just let it will get more complicated because systems naturally complicate themselves. This is just a rule in nature that like this is how evolution works, that things just get more complicated as time goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just do it. And I swear to God, even by the end of the week, you're going to be doing it's going to look more complicated than when it started. I was just reflecting on that, that I, I do. Um, I call them anchor rituals, but I have like a ritual I do in the morning or a ritual I do before bed. And that's also just very pragmatic. Like if I start getting into a rut, the easiest thing to do is go, all right, well, do your like do these little tiny rituals again to kind of like start feeling a little bit more on track. And then I'll add in other things. And it's and it's helpful. And I was just reflecting on the way that those have just naturally evolved over the years. Like what's on my altar changes, the sort of different energies I'm invoking or thinking about change. That doesn't mean every week I'm rewriting them whole cloth. They're just a natural process where you're like, I got this cool new thing. I'm going to put it on my altar. It has this energy. Now I'm doing this other thing. And that's the, I think that's one of the most fun parts about this. I so. agree. And I, I think that there's um, it, like, I, I think that magic in a lot of ways for me, and maybe this is just mm -hmm. me like, as a witch speaking or something right yeah. but i think that we talk about being like in flow with nature or like tapping into to the power of nature the power of our surroundings the power of the landscape and i that means that our practices naturally cycle as well yeah. it means that our practices aren't going to be the same every single day or every single like month to month or whatever because it's raining out i can't the do the changes, ritual yeah. outside right i mm -hmm. you know it's I need help getting money to pay the rent this month. So I got to do more money stuff, right? I got, I got this problem where I have this thing or 
there's just different vibes to different days. Like sometimes I'll just spontaneously light a candle that I don't normally light that day because I'm like, this is just the vibe of today, you know? Yeah. And it's, there's that aspect to it too, that I think embracing that kind of spontaneity is a good thing in my opinion. And mm -hmm. that sort of, um, Go, going with what you feel like strengthening that inner voice of knowing when the time is right to do a certain ritual or when you need to do that for yourself, I think is a big part of a mat of magical training, mm -hmm. strengthening that inner kind of intuitive voice, you know? Absolutely. And I think um, just to underline the spell that you gave, because I think it really is for anyone that is saying like, how do I study magic? throw away the idea that there's one right system to study or that you have to do all of them. And um, just a quick personal anecdote. Uh, last year, maybe I was in London and there's like three like legendary occult bookstores that are all in walking distance from each other. So I decided to like do this kind of triangle and hit them all up. And it was so fascinating because these are the cream of the crop occult bookstore. So, you know, it's not just here's this tiny little occult section. It's like, oh, you want grimoires? That's an entire <laughs> wall. Like, there yeah. you go. And it was so eye-opening for me to see what was I gravitating towards. Because I still have this idea that I'm a wizard. And I'm like, oh, this grimoire. And I'm like, I don't care about any of these grimoires. I'm interested in the more like languagey, chaos, magic-y, hypnosis-y stuff. And like when I saw my reading pile, it was such an interesting reflection of like what my true actual interests are rather than what I would like thought I was supposed to do because I just didn't buy the things that I was supposed to. So I think starting with how to study magic and even just seeing in this book what resonates with you is a fantastic place to start. And now I have an answer when people ask me where to start. Thank you. That was I, a, a big part of me wanting to write this book was almost to give people that gift of when people come up to you and say like, how do I get into this? You can just hand them the book and be like, here is how you like not to be too arrogant, but I do really think it is a good starting place for people. And it is, it is the answer agree. to that question. Yeah. Yeah. Bu buy it for your cool niece yeah, or something. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Buy it for your uncool nephew so then they can get a little bit cooler yeah, and not, be, uh, not grow up to be a creep. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. For more of Sarah's magic, visit sarah-lions.com or just go buy the book, How to Study Magic, which is available wherever books are sold and even probably some places that they're not. Because this book is magic, and it's not just that Sarah's a friend, but I really, truly enjoyed this. It's a beautiful book. It's super accessible, and it is just now my top recommendation for people that are trying to get oriented in this weird world of magic that I sit in the middle of and refuse to make sense of. So thank you for tuning in to This Podcast is a Ritual. We'll catch you next time. I'm your wizard, Devin Person, saying, I believe in you. Your magic is real. <laughs>